This is That's in the Bible.com. That's in the Bible, episode number 93. Why Sound Doctrine? Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Jesus is Hello and welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. Glad you could join us for another episode of That's in the Bible. Today we're looking at sound doctrine, or why sound doctrine. And uh, Pastor Stephen Bear is going to be bringing us that episode. And Stephen Bear is a, um, well, he is, I would consider him a, we have a lot of uh, relationships now, Steve, not only friends, and uh, we're somehow also related, aren't we, as well? We are. And um, and Steve was one of the instrumental people as far as when I first got saved. I'd come to his house, myself and another fellow by the name of Roger, and uh, we'd come to his house and he didn't know what he was in for. We'd come to his house and we'd try to pin him pin him down on these uh, Bible things that he was telling us and we'd say, what about this? What about that? And sure enough, he always had an answer though. He'd always go back to the Bible and pull something out, so... It's part of the inspiration also for the show is that's in the Bible. It is. Yeah. A lot of good stuff in the Bible. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Eric. appreciate that. And you sound good. Oh, well, <laughs> that's got to be because on your end, it's not that I'm doing over here. So <laughs> we had a few technical difficulties. I sounded like I was in an echo chamber because um, I don't know what I did with the mixing board. And then Steve had some sort of electrical interference, but in the meantime, the Lord worked all that out so we could uh, present a podcast that is acceptable as far as sound quality goes. Amen. And speaking of sound quality, we also have Pastor Strobel joining us. Yes, I am here, by the grace of God. And how are you today, Pastor Strobel? I am doing fine and glad to be here. And we also have joining us from the sunny Arctic we have uh, Matthew. <laughs> Matt, how are things up in Point Hope, Alaska? Going well. It's uh, high 30s today, so it's uh heat wave, so it's feeling good. <laughs> so 30s and 40s, that's considered warm there. Yeah, the, well, we have it's overcast right now, but when the sun comes out, it's, uh, you know, 40s feels really hot. 40s feel like uh, 65, 70. <laughs> and people run around in shorts and t-shirts? Oh, yeah. It's amazing to me. <laughs> we just had our whaling feast. So you know, there's two clans here, and, and uh, the one clan comes to one end of the village. The other clan goes to the other end of the village. And, uh, of course, they uh, enjoy their all their labor that they've done for the past four weeks, which is of you know going out there and hunting whales. They got 12 bowhead whales this year, a bunch of belugas. And so they were uh, feasting feasting on the food. I was there, prayed, you know, before each um, day and was able to give the gospel out and things like that. And of course, I took the food. Uh, I was not, uh, you know, I was not mean about it. I took the food and uh, I haven't had a bite this year yet. 
<laughs> so I'm that's... saving it for all you guys. And if anybody wants, you know, and that's in the Bible. If anybody wants some, just get a hold of us and I'll ship it right out to you. Hey, you better, <laughs> you better be careful. You're going to have that's some people right. take you up on yeah. that. Shipping is not cheap, man. <laughs> Especially from there. I'll so you, it'll be it worth it. The, it'll, it'll look the same as it did in the picture he gave. By the time it gets there, it uh, it ferments yeah. for a while, and uh, <laughs> I'll have to not put good. I'll have to put that picture up on the webpage at that's in the bible dot com, <laughs> so folks folks can see. And, and it, I'm sure it's healthy and everything. It's just probably an acquired taste because you're not used to it. You know, it was a blessing <laughs> though. Is we just had this year one of the whaling captains. Um, we're, we're pretty good friends with a few of the whaling captains. There's about nine whaling captains and they're pretty prevalent in the village and, uh, they have big status in the village. So it's nice to at least, you know, be able to make friends with them. And so at least you don't have to too, worry too much about getting kicked out of the village. But, uh, but one of the whaling captains gave us, um, a hat, uh, me and the other missionary that's here gave us a, gave us a hat that uh says their crew on it hank's crew so that was i mean that was a big honor so that was a cool blessing. amen amen he said that's because you guys always pray for us every year we, we usually come and pray over the boat and over the over all the crew so nice. and uh so that was that was that was an honor amen and he is saved so that's a blessing amen and uh, Pastor Stephen Bear, how are things in Buffalo as we record this? We are uh, in, let's see, it's uh, June 23rd, 2020, and we're still dealing with the effects of the uh, COVID-19 virus. Uh, how are you guys up there? We're, we're doing well. I mean, things are starting to get back to normal. I mean, you know, there's some remnants of, of the precaution, obviously being in New York State, we still have uh, King Andrew that's over there and, and dictating things. But as far as uh, people go, I mean, I'm out on the golf course. I was out yesterday and and uh, played with some fellas, and it just didn't seem like there was any th- big deal going on as far as that goes. I mean, there's certain precautions that the course is taking, which they have to, much like what we have to do as far as churches are concerned, so that we can have uh, people there at our facility. And so we're, we're, we're not, you know blind to that to that aspect of the uh of the situation that we're in but you know people are are now starting to get more comfortable with being around other people and haven't heard of anything you know you know uh, any great outbreak in any particular area especially here in western new york so we're doing well as far as that's concerned um uh, as far as church is concerned, we had uh, one of our biggest days since this whole thing took place and and uh, had uh, a good uh, showing at church, plus we're also doing the live streaming. Thankfully, people are starting to come out uh, of, our, of our members in church uh, coming out to the services live as opposed to being there, uh, you know, doing it from home on live stream. Uh, there's still a few people there that... Um, have need to be away just as a precaution for health wise uh, uh, one of our ladies has a husband who is going through chemotherapy for some cancer and and uh, certainly she's there and uh, thankful for the live streaming uh, also have a fellow that used to come to our church uh, he's down in, back in Kentucky and talk to him pretty much every day and uh, he uh, views our live streaming after he uh, attends his own church down there. 
Uh, in fact, uh, Pastor Strobel, we we talked about that before. Uh, Chad is going regularly to your brother-in-law's church down there in. Um, I'm trying to remember the town. Uh, in Indiana. In Indiana, yes. So uh, he he makes the yes, trip yes. from from Kentucky up there, just a you know probably half hour, forty five minutes away, and uh, he is attending that church. Really loves it. He and his girlfriend. Uh, are going there and they really enjoy that so it's a blessing for him to, to have that personal touch of, of church but uh, also I'm finding myself doing discipleship uh, Eric just like we used to do long ago only this is through the telephone and over Skype or not Skype but Zoom mm-hmm. and so uh, uh, just still trying to do what we used to do many years ago uh, and uh, doing it remotely I guess you could say now so uh Keeping myself busy and uh, watching uh, our two-year-old uh, grandson, and uh, so we're just having a great time and, and uh, thankful that the Lord's given us something to do. So we're thankful for that. Amen. Pastor Strobel, you're in the same situation there in Lockport. Yes, uh, very similar. I think last time we spoke on the podcast, we were having to uh, we were we were starting to allow get allowed to have people back in the church, but it was only up to like 10 and we were scheduling people for services and we're doing that right along. It was, it was, it was tricky, you know, trying to be fair, get everybody that -hmm. wanted to come in, in. And on a Saturday, about about three weeks ago, if we would go three Sundays ago, the Saturday before that, uh, it might've been actually the Friday before that, somewhere in there. always seems like it's Saturday, but anyway, I found out, I'm pretty sure I found out late Saturday afternoon that uh, churches were now going to be allowed to open to 25%. And we've been kind of just going along on the guidelines there. I prayerfully, you know, different churches did different things and they prayerfully sought what the Lord would have us to do. And that's how we approach it. But once it opened up to 25%, um, man, I got to throw out the schedule (laughs) and let folks know you guys want to come, you can come. Then we had to make adjustments in the auditorium because of the you know social distance requirements. So we uh, cordoned off every other pew just so uh, there would be you know proper distance between people, and and brought out chairs to get on the sides so we could you know finagle things a little bit and, and have everything in order. But so since that time, you know, especially on that day, I mean, people were so anxious to get back out to church that we had uh, a good crowd, a very good crowd, and we, mm-hmm. we've had good crowds each Sunday morning. But I think, I think. It was probably, it seemed like it peaked right there at the beginning because everybody was so anxious to get back out. Uh, Of course, in in the same situation, we still have some folks that uh, are not uh, coming out yet because of uh, people, you know, and their families that they deal with that are at risk. And there's a concern there for them. So, but we're letting everybody know we're open for business uh, by the grace of God, the king's business. Amen. And able to have services, just a blessing to have people, you know, in all the services. And I'll be glad when it gets back to uh, normal. We hope that it will. Uh, New York State, I'll be glad when they don't require you to wear masks out in public. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a weird situation. Look, isn't it, to see people with masks? It is. Now you can, you know, yeah. You can once you get at your seat and everything, like in church, and you know, mm-hmm. you and, and keep your distance. You don't have to have it on the whole time. Right. Uh, they opened it up to restaurants. And I was reading the spe- specifics for restaurants that opened up. I think it was earlier this week or last week. Um, 
probably last week, the way time's going by fast. So, but they have to wear the masks until they get to the table and mm-hmm. they can take them off. They get out of the, off the, up from the table and they have to right. uh, keep them on. So it's, those things get tough to breathe in, especially in this muggy weather here. Well, Steve, speaking of uh, doctrine, are you ready? No COVID today. No COVID today. No COVID doctrine today. Nope, nope, nope. So are you are you doing something that um, we would have done, you know, what was it, 30, 40 years ago, whatever it was? Um, what we mean when we first started? When we, um, I was coming to your house with Roger. Oh, you know, this is something, uh, you know, there might have been some mention to it. Uh, but I don't think it was as well developed as I have today. So, um, you know, I'm sure there's some room for for growth, even what I have uh, today. But uh, yeah, I would have if I would have thought about it well enough and and hard enough, I probably would have put something like this in my in my repertoire of uh, discipleship courses. Yes. All right. Well, good. Well, let's find out what what is sound doctrine and why we need and have sound doctrine and uh, here we go all right guys thanks i appreciate the opportunity uh as we begin today i'd like for you for you to take your bibles and turn to two different places one in first timothy and one in second timothy first timothy chapter four and second timothy chapter four And while you're turning there, let me go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to, uh, first of all, be saved, that you gave me, uh, Lord, those that uh, were undeterred by my uh, antagonism towards them and the gospel, and they persisted over the course of nearly a year before I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And thankful for those three men and and ask God that you would even bless them even today, Lord, for what they did for me and how they've changed my life and uh, Lord, how it's so much different than what it would have been had they'd never been there. Uh, Lord, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to preach your word and to testify of your saving grace and, and Lord, to declare the truth of the word of God. Father, I pray that as we do this podcast, Lord, that you would bless it Uh, Lord, that you would help me to say the things you once said. Lord God, that you'd help me to declare truth for the glory of God. I pray, Father, that those that listen, Lord, would be challenged and encouraged and strengthened uh, in your will and uh, in your word. And, Father, pray that you might receive all the glory for it all. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, as I mentioned, I want you to turn to two different places. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to take a look at a few verses from each of those and uh, kind of set the tone for why we have chosen this particular uh, topic and uh, for the title that we've given it here this evening. Uh, first of all, 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, if you'll turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 there, 
says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teeth having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now, I'm introducing this subject of doctrine with the question, why sound doctrine? And there is a reason, and we're going to get into that, and, and hopefully uh, not only uh, answer the question, but also maybe give reasons why that should be the case, that we should uh, search out and seek sound doctrine. Now, I think that the subject that we're talking about, and of course that's doctrine, is relevant today, just as relevant today as it was back in Paul's day. Now, Paul obviously here is speaking to Timothy in both cases, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And uh, one, he's warning him and and showing him that there is a threat out there that's going to take place in those days, uh, which was the doctrines of devils. And then he turns around and he tells him in 2 Timothy that he's supposed to preach the word and it's supposed to be there for long-suffering in doctrine. And he makes that other added thing there in verse 3. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And I believe what Paul's talking about is the very days that we're living in right now where they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, their own desires, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall be uh, turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Now, most of the time we consider doctrine as being that from the Bible, the teachings that God has instituted from the Bible, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of eternal security, the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ, and you can go into all kinds of things, the teachings, but, but doctrine is not just exclusive to the Bible. There are uh, any number of groups that have a tenet of beliefs, and that is also considered doctrine whether it's the doctrine of the Boy Scouts or the doctrine of the Communists, and as we've already indicated, the doctrines of individual and uh, denominational churches, they all have their particular beliefs or doctrines. We see that there are different kinds of doctrines, and we want to see the contrast that we've already seen in ver- uh, the verses there in First Timothy and Second Timothy, but can also see it in other places in the Bible. Uh, take a look in Revelation chapter 2. The Apostle John is speaking to the church of Pergamos, one of seven churches there in Asia Minor. And uh, obviously it's, it's related not only historically to those churches, but also spiritually and prophetically to the churches of the end time. That's why it's in Revelation. And Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols 
and to commit fornication. I see there you have the doctrine of Balaam. And of course, it was to cause the nation of Israel to sin against the Lord so that the Lord would judge the nation of Israel. And Balaam wouldn't be able to because God forbid him to do so and and gave Balak the result that he was wanting, even though Balaam could not curse the people as Balak wanted him to. You take a look at the next verse in verse 15. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. That's God speaking. And he says he hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, what was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? And that is Nico, which is uh, uh, not laity, but clergy, the, the upper crust, and laity. So you had this clergy laity type of thing going on where the clergy was was usurping authority over the laity. In other words, they wanted them to give them the reverence uh, that they felt that they were due. And the, the closest thing I suppose you could come to that would be what we see in the Roman Catholic Church and other churches that are similar to that where the, the Pope and the Cardinals and the bishops all have this elevated position that uh, the people almost reverence them in that regard, and that's the doctrine that God hated. So just because we associate doctrine with the Bible doesn't necessarily mean that it is exclusive to the Bible and to the doctrines exclusively of God. And so from the passages that we read there in Timothy, we can see that there is a contrast. There's a contrast between what is biblical doctrine as far as God is concerned and what the adversary tries to counterfeit with his doctrine. Now, we're going to return to those verses later, but I want you to see where the concept of doctrine came from. And I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32, uh, we're going to see the what we call the law of mention, and probably 80 to 90 percent of the time, the first time a subject or a word is used in the Word of God has a special significance and sets the tone for the rest of its use throughout the Scriptures. And we're going to see that here in this case. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, we're going to start in verse 1 says, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. For my doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. I want you to notice here, and of course one of the first rules and things that you learn when you're trying to understand the Bible is you're asking a couple of questions. Who's speaking and to whom is it speaking? And, of course, that's what you see here. Now, obviously, from the context of what we're reading, Moses is delivering this oration in the book of Deuteronomy as a second giving of the law. 
Now, what that means is this, is that before the children of Israel are going into the promised land, he's reiterating to them what was established 40 years ago when they came to Mount Sinai. So the law was given to Moses. Moses went up and down the mountain several times, and God gave him all the, all the dimensions and specifics of the tabernacle while he was up there and delivered that to the people for their form of worship. He gave them the Ten Commandments and came down and broke them, as you remember, when they made a golden calf and were worshiping it and doing all kinds of ungodly things there shortly after they were delivered from the Egyptian and crossed the Red Sea. So he goes back up to the mountain again, and he gets the Ten Commandments, and he gets many other laws and regulations on how they should worship, how they should live, their dietary laws, and all of these things God gave Moses when they were there at Sinai for them to have this law to live by. And now he's giving this law again 40 years later. The children of Israel had come up to the promised land with Moses and Joshua. He sent out the 12 spies. They went in and saw the land, and 10 spies thought it was impossible. The giants were going to gobble up all of their children, and everything was going to be just terrible, and there was no way they were going to be able to defeat them. And Joshua Caleb said, we can do this thing, and the people's hearts were, were discouraged in the way. And they said, we, we can't do this. And so God says, all right, back into the wilderness you go for 40 years. And now the children that they thought were going to be gobbled up by the giants are the very ones that are going in to possess the land. And so Moses is repeating this to them. And as you see this, you know that Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel. But when he gives this law the second time, notice who he speaks it to. He says, give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. So God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my law in a gentle, uh, a beautiful way, as, as, as you could uh, imagine, that he's just going to allow this gentle rain to come upon uh, his creation to let them know what he expects of them in their lives and how he wants them to worship. So it's not just, as you look here, it says, give ear, O heaven. So he's not talking to just the nation of Israel. He's talking to his whole creation. Give ear, O ye heavens. Give ear, O ye earth. He's, he's wanting his whole creation to understand what he is saying. So he's given this law to the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel was to take this law and give it to the rest of the world. This is God's doctrine. And, and, and you know it's good doctrine and right doctrine because of how it describes it. It says in verse 4, he is the rock, talking about God. His work is perfect, for all his uh, ways are judgment. In other words, they're fair, they're equitable. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. So God gives his word, and within his word is his doctrine. 
and he's giving it to his creation. And the Jews were to dispense this to the world in the form of law. This was confirmed that the Lord had already put this law in their hearts by what we read in Romans chapter 2. You see, God distilled this doctrine to his creation in their own hearts, in their conscience. And the Jews were supposed to take the law and give it to them so that they could be understand that, oh, wow, this is the God that showed us that we're not supposed to do these things. We're supposed to do these things. Take a look in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. That was what the law was for. It was to confirm what God had placed in their hearts already so that when the Jews brought them to the law and dispensed the law, then they could point to the God who put these things into their hearts so that they would believe. But we know from the Bible and our own experience and observation that God's doctrine can and is rejected. And somebody can sear their conscience so that when the news is brought to them, they reject it at hand. But that is the reason why sound doctrine, good doctrine, must begin early. It must begin early. If it's not begun early, there's less of a chance that they're going to actually receive and uh, get this word into their hearts. And I'll explain that here in just a moment, why I said that. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. In verse 1, this is Solomon speaking. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. So we can see that God wants his doctrine started early. In fact, really early. I'm going to be discreet here, but I want you to take a look at Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28. Isaiah chapter 28, take a look in verse 9. Whom shall, the, shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make under, to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. As soon as a child that age right there is the time that they should be learning the doctrine of God. 
as a child is dangled from the knee of a father or a mother, they should be learning about the Lord and about his doctrine. The Bible confirms this in the New Testament by saying this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. I want you to know that, that God wants his children taught early, his creation taught early the word of God. There was a day when, when young children were taught doctrine. They were, they were taught the ABCs by memory verses for each letter of the alphabet. Uh, there's, there's things going on through our history where the Bible was inculcated in the culture and in the home and in the school, the public schools, and everything aspect around their lives, the, the Bible was, was a central and important part of their life. And consequently, because of that, you had a God-fearing people. Now, maybe not everybody was saved, but there were certainly more people saved now. And the people reverenced the Word of God, even if they didn't. Uh, they knew what the Bible was. They had an understanding that that was God's Word and so forth, and they had a fear. Now you have very little fear. You know, people, when in years gone by, when they were taught early, they were taught doctrine in those Sunday school classes. And when they were taught doctrine, those kids stuck more than they do now. You know why? Because doctrine isn't really an emphasis in Sunday schools anymore. It's all about the stories. It's fine to get the stories when they're real little, you know, weaned from the breast, and they're learning about Joseph, and they're learning about Jesus, and they're learning about Noah, and they're learning about all these stories that go on. But there comes a time when the young people need to learn the doctrine of the Word of God. They need to learn the intricacies of, of what God teaches and why he teaches those things. They need to learn about the deity of Jesus Christ. They need to learn about the plan of salvation and eternal security. And all of these doctrines that we hold dear in the Word of God, these young people need to have that. Because without that, they are going to falter. Because doctrine is the, the groundwork by which your faith is established. Without it, you will fall. It's like building a house upon the sand. There's no foundation, and the house will crumble when the sea and the waves burst upon it. Doctrine is the foundation by which our faith is established. And that's why he says to start it early. Children are unstable and easily swayed. You see that in, 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 in how they are grow, growing up, and you can get them to believe anything. Baby Christians are unstable and easily swayed, and become, they become unstable in the faith because they have not gotten the sound doctrine that they need. I believe every Christian needs to know what they believe and why they believe it. And even if you're not a preacher or a teacher, uh, even you that are just a, an average Christian that comes to church and wants to know God and, and uh, live for him, you ought to be able to have a rudimentary level of being able to defend what you believe. There's an admonition 
in Ephesians chapter 4, which goes this way. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. It's Bible study. It's, it's what we're learning. It's all of these things that are going on. We need to be able to have some, some avenues by which we are grounded and settled in the faith. I know that uh, this may sound strange. I had gotten saved probably, oh, in December 29th, 1976. As I mentioned in, in the prayer, there were three guys that were responsible for leading me to the Lord. And it hadn't been two weeks, but I was really hungry for the truth. But two weeks after I got saved, somebody that I knew on the ship, but really had no real significant conversation with, but all of a sudden he saw me with a Bible and he saw me with these other guys and saw that I had a zeal for God. And all of a sudden he comes up to me and starts to talk to me about, uh, you know, you know, you know, Steve, those guys know some things, but I'll tell you what, there's more to the Bible than what they're telling you. Jesus came to America. Did you know that? And all of a sudden I got into this rudimentary conversation, you know, basic conversation with this guy. And, and I went back and told the three guys, I said, look, Steve, you got to be careful. You got to watch out for this guy. He's a Mormon. And, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to get you to, well, give me some verses, give me some verses. And of course, you know, I was a babe in Christ. I didn't know any Bible. I didn't know what was going on. I, I could have been easily swayed. They tried to talk me out of it. They tried to keep me from having this conversation with this guy because they were afraid that I'd just get swallowed up by another cult that was out there. I convinced them to give me some verses, went back to this guy, and we went back and forth. And I think it was probably more my pride and arrogance that, that compelled me to do this than anything else. But I saw that it really, you know, what they were saying, what they told me to watch out for was, was true. And so I backed away from this guy. But just to realize that baby Christians are prime targets for the adversary to get them off into some biblical doctrine that is not right. It's not sound doctrine. They may be called Christians. They might even be saved. But they're caught up into false doctrine, and baby Christians are just primed for that. Why? Because they don't know. They're easily swayed. They're carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You see in churches, you see in churches there are Christians that come to church, and they're there to fill a spot. They've been saved for 10, 15 years, and you ask them if they could give you a verse on eternal security, and they wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, they, you'd ask them to tell me uh, how, how if, if, you, if I were lost, could you tell me how to get saved? Well, you know, I'd take you to the pastor, and I, I, I'd just do the job there. I'd just take you to the pastor, and he could tell you how to do it. Now, every Christian should know how to take somebody through the Bible and show them how to be saved. Uh, you know, they, they don't know what they believe. They just believe it because somebody's told them, and that's all there is. And uh, that's all they think is necessary. 
And, you know, get thinking about this thing. And, and you know, it, it, it makes me sad because if you use this analogy, which is a proper analogy, but it's sad. It's a sad analogy. And I don't, I don't mean to sound mean or, or unkind when I say this, but one of the saddest sights that you'll ever see is an adult, someone who is physically an adult, but they're still in a crib and they're still in a diaper and they're still jabbering like a newborn infant, making coos and so forth. They have to be fed. They have to be clothed. And they, they can't fend for themselves at all. And it is a sad, tragic sight to see something like that. And yet in the spiritual realm, you have Christians, probably, <laughs> I would venture to say a majority of Christians out there that call themselves Christians anyway, are just like that. Spiritually, they are an adult body. They've been saved 10, 20, 30 years but they're spiritually a babe. They're a babe in Christ, and they can't fend for themselves, and they're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You know, you, you can tell when they listen to those on the radio or they watch TV and all the different TV preachers that are out there, and they think every one of them is wonderful. And they have no biblical or spiritual discernment to understand that there are some out there that are just crooks and charlatans that are saying things, pleasant things that can deceive, but they're not biblically sound. They don't have sound doctrine. All they're interested in is for you sending money their way. And there's some out there that are just giving generic, uh, these little quick little sayings that make it sound just so wonderful, and there's no depth, there's no meat to it at all, and they're just weak in the faith. And here you have a a Christian that should know better, and they're just they're just a babe in Christ. They're a babe in Christ. I tell you what, Christians are supposed to grow. They're supposed to mature. They're supposed to be sound in the faith. You know that rebuke there in Ephesians chapter four is 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 actually pretty mild compared to the rebuke that's found in Hebrews chapter five, probably the last. I would say seven, eight verses of, uh, of Hebrews chapter 5 is a strong rebuke against those that are still babes in Christ. And we're not going to deal with it now, but I'd suggest that you go and read that and uh, kind of get a grasp on that, if you will. Now, coming from the Old Testament and, and finding out that God wanted his doctrine taught early, Jesus Christ shows up on the scene, and when he does, he really stirs things up. The religious establishment had become corrupt, and they had added tradition to the doctrine of God. They had formalized religion, or the, 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 the religion, I guess you could say, that God had established. And they'd added all these added rules, these excessive rules that was more of a ritualistic type of uh, adherence than it was uh, what God intended for the law to be. You see that in Mark chapter 7 and verse 7. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Do you see what he said there? He says, how be it in vain? 
worthless, useless, senseless. These doctrines of men have no bearing, have no connection with doctrine at all. Yet, they have allowed these to supersede the doctrine of God. They lost sight of what it was all about. The reason for the law was to reach the heart. It was to show them that they were sinners. It was to show them that their relationship with God, unless God did something, was inadequate. It wasn't what it should be. And God had provided sacrifices because he knew they were going to mess up. And those sacrifices were to show that God had mercy and would forgive. But all they had become was ritualistic adherence. They were following the letter of the law and leaving the heart behind. And so it become rote. It become just the thing to do to, to appease a God that they really didn't know. And Jesus began to warn the people. He began to warn the people about the traditions that these religious Pharisees and Sadducees had brought about. And he tried to use an illustration that they could understand about leaven, like yeast in bread. And so many of you are probably familiar with that. But let me read this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 11 and 12. How is it that ye do not understand what I spake, uh, that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. He was trying to warn them. And, of course, when he would warn them, he antagonized that religious elite. He antagonized them. You ever wonder why Jesus Christ did so many things on the Sabbath day? Because he was trying to get them to see that they were making the Sabbath this ritualistic, uh, legalistic thing that, that had nothing to do with what the Sabbath was for. The Sabbath was meant for man, not man for the Sabbath. And it was supposed to be a benefit. It was supposed to be a help to them and a sign, really, to them, if you really want to be technical. And it was supposed to be for their benefit. But they turned it into this obligated thing that was so ritualistic and so demanding that it was stifling the, the, the relationship between them and their God. And that's why Jesus Christ was bucking their system. And that's why they wanted to kill him. Now, before we get to Mark chapter 4 and verse 2, let me give you just a little bit of background here to explain kind of what's going on here. It's more easily explained by taking you to Matthew. Uh, when Jesus Christ started his ministry in Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, he begins to teach and to preach. He starts giving these new uh, 
uh, doctrines that they'd never heard of before. Uh, he starts applying them in ways. He starts healing. He starts feeding them. He starts doing all these miraculous things to show them that he is the Messiah. And the Pharisees are coming and trying to figure this out. And they're trying to trap him in his language. And all of these things are going on. And they get to chapter 11 where he makes the last final appeal for them to receive him, the, the religious leaders to receive him. And in chapter 11 or chapter 12, or actually chapter 11, they reject him. In chapter 12, the Lord kind of moves things around and tells them what's going on, and that rejection is final. And then we get to chapter 13, and what's in chapter 13? All the parables. All the parables, because instead of it being clear and plain teaching of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdoms go into mystery form through the parables. And now the, the religious elite have no idea what he's talking about when he speaks the parables. But as Jesus Christ begins to explain how these parables work and that, that the disciples were supposed to, were, these parables were given so that the di disciples would understand, but not the religious elite. So I want you to take a look now at Mark chapter 4. And this is what he says. And he taught them many things by parables. And said unto them in his doctrine. There's a lot of doctrine in those parables. And what you need to do is you need to compare spiritual things with spiritual. Compare scripture with scripture. So that you could be able to understand those things. And those are keys that open up the Bible. And open up all kinds of things for your biblical understanding. And it's doctrine. It's doctrine. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 and verse 27. Now, this is just giving you an understanding of what was going on in their minds when they were listening to Jesus. In verse 27, and they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Take a look at one more in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and then let me try to make a little bit of application here. Luke chapter 4 and verse 32, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. His word was with power. First of all, there's authority and now there's power. The power is in the Word of God. It's not in the speaker. The speaker speaks the Word and speaks the Word of God, and that's where the power comes from. The Holy Spirit of God taking those words and using it with power. Now, you have some preachers out there and speakers that are very influential and in how they speak and so forth. But when you're dealing with God, it's not supposed to be about the individual. It's supposed to be about the Word of God and about the God of the Word of God. And so when God takes something and he begins to, to do it with power, people become astonished. They, they're, they're like, wow, what's, what's, what's all this about? You, you can really see this in Bible studies. 
the modern Bible study is is done this way. You know, a moderator gets a passage of scripture, everybody turns to it, uh, they read out of their Bible, whatever version that is, and then they'll offer say, okay, does anybody have any other version that they could read this passage from? And somebody will read out of their version, another person will read out of their version and say, well, how does this verse speak to you? And what does it mean to you? And it all becomes about opinion and about feeling. And then all you need is some rabble rouser in there that will take the Bible and say, well, you know, this verse that you're talking about here, if you would take a look over here in this verse and such and such a book, such and such a chapter, such and such a verse, and then you connect it with and you connect it with this one over here, and it blows opinion completely out of the water. They don't like that person because, you see, they've, they've sullied the, the opinion of everybody else in that room. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did when he came there. He was making of none effect everything that those scribes and Pharisees were teaching. And he spoke with power, and he spoke with authority. I tell you what, if you're looking for a Bible study, if you're looking for some place to learn the Word of God, you need to go to where a preacher is declaring the Word of God, and he's preaching it with power, and he's preaching it with authority, so that the God of the Bible comes through, and not him, not his technique, not his persuasion, not his moxie, but it's the Word of God. It is God. I, you know... Eric can testify to this, that, that when we had those Bible studies that we were doing many years ago back in the 80s, that, uh, you know, there'd be somebody maybe have an opinion about something, but, but by the grace of God, I was to always say, well, that's interesting, but, you know, this is what God says about it. And I'd point it right back to the Word of God. And because I believe that's where the power is. I believe that it's God's book, it's not my book, and it's my job as a preacher and a teacher of the Word of God to declare what He says. Because my opinion doesn't matter any more than yours does. It's not me, it's Him. It's not what I say, it's what God says. And we need to keep that in focus because there's power in the Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We need to follow what God says, not what man says. Which leads me to verses in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 7. The Gospel of John, chapter 7. I'd like to start in verse 14. Jesus Christ has gone up to the feast a little bit after uh, his brethren went up, and now he's kind of hidden himself, and now he's starting to teach. Verse 14, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Now, let me just stop there for a second and, and maybe put that in a little bit more context of today that you might be able to understand this. How in the world does this guy know all these things about the Bible, about the Old Testament law? He's never been to our seminaries. He's never been to our Bible schools. How, who is this guy? How does, he, how does he know all this stuff? That's, that's what they're saying. Verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, that's God's will, he shall know of the doctrine, 
whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. You see, whether you realize it or not, there he's talking about two different doctrines. The doctrines, the doctrines of God, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And you could say that that could be of anybody else in the world. Could be the TV evangelist on TV. If, you follow, if you're following God, if you have a heart for God, if you have an interest in truth, then the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God will let you know if what that guy is saying is right or not. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But the precursor to that is if you will do His will. If you want to know God, if you're serious and intent on knowing truth, if you have this insatiable desire for the truth, then he is obligated to let you know whether that thing is so or not. Now, obviously, we know from the Word of God, the Bereans, the Bereans were more noble than they in Thessalonica in that they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things were so or not. You hear somebody preach, you hear somebody say something, and it sounds like, wow, you know, that's that's a possibility. I wonder, wonder what the Bible says about that. Go read the passage that he's quoting from. Make sure that he said every word that's in the passage. Make sure that he got the context right in the passage from which he's using. Go to other verses that can confirm and or deny what this man is saying. Don't just believe it on face value. That's the problem with people today. They hear something new, and that's all they want. That's all they need. Jesus was letting those people know that the teaching came from God that he was delivering. And again, if you will allow the Holy Spirit of God, by seeking truth and seeking God, he'll let you know whether it's false doctrine or not. I want you to know there's a lot of false doctrine out there. There's a lot of it. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now the context here in 1 Corinthians 14 is all about the, the, the tongues, the misuse of tongues that the Corinthians were doing. And Paul's showing the foolishness and the fallacy of them in of tongues, how it's anti-natural. They're just doing everything wrong. And he sets up some things and he shows them how carnal they are. And he gets to verse 26, and he's just, I mean, he's really insulting them. You say a preacher insult, insulting them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Take a look at verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, everyone hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. Everyone wants to be significant. There's teachers out there that want a following. They, they want to be unique so that they can gather a following. Back in the 70s when I got saved, there were three basic beliefs of the resurrection of the saints. The first one is called amillennial. Ah meaning no. And millennial, meaning that millennial reign that's talked about in Revelation chapter 20, I believe it is, uh, uh, seven different times. Millennium, 1,000 years, no thousand year reign of Christ. And they just believed in a general resurrection that God would appoint. There was no millennium, it was just a metaphor to speak of some spiritual truth. The second one was called post millennial. 
And these people believe that after the millennium, after the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, there would be one general resurrection. Then you had the pre-trib, those that believed in a pre-tribulation rapture, which meant that there was a rapture or a resurrection of the saints of God, the church, before the tribulation, and then after the tribulation and millennium, a general resurrection of those in hell and those uh, uh, on the earth and everything else. There was one general resurrection there at the close of the millennium. And nowadays, there are more teachings of this thing that I can actually keep up with. You have, obviously, the pre-trib and the post-trib and all-millennial. You have mid-trib. You have post-trib. You have pre-wrath, basically teaching that Christians are going to go through the tribulation and so forth. And everyone has a doctrine. You have preachers that are preaching the Bible from the headlines, uh, they are they're they're taking the Bible and trying to make the Bible relevant to the headlines that are there, and instead of preaching the Word and preaching the Bible, they're preaching headlines. They're they're finding all kinds of things out there. Well, you know, this could be the mark of the beast, and we have to watch out for this, and we have to watch out for that. Well, if they're always talking about the mark of the beast, if you believe in the pre-tribulation uh, 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 view of the res- uh, of the rapture and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you're not going to be here for the the uh, the mark of the beast, because if you take the mark of the beast, you're lost. You're lost. Everyone hath a doctrine. You got all these preachers out there. Many of them are my brethren in Christ that are looking for signs and wonders. That's why they are going to Matthew 24. They're looking for signs and wonders and confirming the headlines and all these things. But I want you to know that the signs and the wonders were not given to the Christians. They were given to the Jews. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22, the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. The signs and the wonders of Matthew chapter 24 are not for the Christian. They're going to take place for the Jews to recognize and realize that they're in the end times and and now all of a sudden their judgment is coming and the Lord, the Messiah is coming back. That's what the signs and the wonders are for. The evidence for Christian is what we've started with in Timothy those two chapters in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. They're the ones that talk about the end times before the rapture and the things that we're supposed to be looking for as the indicators that the rapture is near. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. What was it that they were told that they were... uh, uh, that shows these these uh, hypocrisies here. What does it say? Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Do you realize that those things were 
the very things that we read about there in Revelation. Take a look at, I'm going to read it to you, but you can take a look at it later in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there and hold the doctrine of Balaam, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Those are things that are that are brought to fore. Now it's forbidding to marry. Now saying marriage isn't necessary, you can just go out and commit adultery and so forth, commit fornication, and commanding to abstain from meats. What is the what are what is the huge push now? Is to become vegan, become vegetarian, to put away the meats. We're seeing those things take place before our very eyes. So it says for verse three, forbidding to marry commanding to abstain from each which God has created to, re, to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of Good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained, but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise there thyself rather unto godliness. In the latter times, some going to depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Take your Bible and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1. This know also that in the last days, see you don't have to go to Matthew 24. Go right here. This is written to a Christian. Matthew's written to the Jews. This is to the Christians. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, this is for another time to, to go into detail about these things. I'm not going to go into detail here. But I want you to see these things and understand and realize that these are all prevalent today. More so than I, I believe than any other time in history. I'm sure you can probably make a case that all of these things have been happening since the Bible was written. But I tell you what, they're all accentuated greatly now. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covenant, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, the bass boat's more appealing than going to church today. Nice sunny weather out there. I bet they're biting. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I, you know, we can catch the live stream later. We don't have to go to church today. We can go out in the bass boat. We can catch, we can catch church a little bit later. 
Verse 6, for of this sort are they which creep in, uh, creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. You've got false teachers there. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra. Uh, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I tell you, if you travel around and you visit churches, you'll find out that one of the things that's missing in churches is doctrine, good doctrine, sound doctrine. Most contemporary churches don't want to teach doctrine because doctrine divides and doctrine separates. And what they're wanting now is unity on the sake of emotion and not truth from good, sound doctrine. That's why you really can't have a whole lot of fellowship with somebody of a different denomination. May they might even be saved. You can have some fellowship. I'm not trying to tell you not to have fellowship with those people. But I tell you what, it comes to a point where eventually doctrine's going to come up unless you're just so, you don't know what you believe. And therefore, doctrine really doesn't come up because you've never really learned or been taught. And so the only thing you have is unity. And therefore, you can get by on that. But if you know the Bible and you start knowing what other uh, denominations believe, it's real hard to get along with people that are of a separate faith or a different denomination. That's why doctrine is not, is not encouraged anymore today, because feelings and unity are more important than doctrine. And that's not the admonition from the Bible. And that's why chapter 3 leads into chapter 4. I charge thee, therefore. You see, the therefore is there because of what you read in chapter 3. 
Because of what you read in chapter 3, this is why Paul is saying what he's saying in chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and, and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering, patience, suffering long, and doctrine. Not unity. Doctrine. Not your best life now. Doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure Sound doctrine. That's where we're at today. But after their own lusts, what they desire, what they feel like, what they want, after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They're not going to listen to a good old-fashioned preacher to rip their skin off for the things they're doing wrong. They'd rather have some smooth-talking teacher to soothe their itching ears to give them things that they want to hear instead of the things that are truth from the Word of God. Somebody preaching the Word. Having itching ears, verse 4, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I don't know, maybe I'm talking to somebody out there that doesn't have a church. Maybe they don't think church is that important. I'm here to tell you that it is important. And you should be looking for a preacher that preaches the Word of God and teaches doctrine. The admonition is to preach the Word. In the last days, we're supposed to be preaching the Word, not headlines, not opinions, not conspiracy theories, not trying to figure out all these other things, you know, that might be okay as far as, you know, maybe curiosities, but we're supposed to focus on what the Word of God says. Now, there's some deep and heavy stuff in the Word of God, and I'm not trying to diminish those things at all, but we're supposed to focus on doctrine. The admonition is, is to, uh, 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 to a preacher is to preach the Word. He's supposed to be a preacher. He gives that admonition to another young man there in the next book in first in Titus, not first Titus, Titus chapter one. And of course, this admonition is given to preachers, and you see it there in the context in the verse preceding verse nine, but it says there in verse nine, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, those that teach false doctrine, that are trying to cause havoc in the churches. Now, my admonition to you as we close this thing up is to beware of the leaven of false doctrine. Beware. You need to find some sound doctrine. Somebody that's going to teach you the truth from the Word of God. That's not going to be so much opinionated preaching but somebody that's going to give you the word of God and the word and the spirit of God will let you know if it's from him or if it's not 
We need to, to know sound doctrine so that we can be strong in the faith, that we are not we are no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. What this guy's saying, what that guy's saying. You ought to be able to take the word of God and know what you believe and be able from when you hear somebody teaching something, you ought to know if it's from God or not. And that's, unfortunately, many, if not most Christians are in that boat today. They're dependent upon some personality as opposed to the book. The book is your authority. Not me, not your preacher, not your favorite TV preacher or teacher, not some radio preacher. It's the book. And when I say the book, I'm talking about the authorized version, the King James Version. So I encourage you. Why sound doctrine? Because there's a lot of false doctrine out there that would have you deceived. I implore you to get into your Bible Find out what you believe and why you believe it, and put it down someplace so that you can be able to defend it when called upon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the opportunity. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Amen. That was Amen. that was excellent. You know, um, and maybe it's for every one of these lessons that we these studies that we do. But every time I hear it especially this one today, it's like that's the that's one of the most important things in the Bible. Is It's the backbone of what we believe and, and what we follow is, is doctrine. Amen. Picking up on that, uh, doctrine being the backbone, really, of our beliefs and what we do in the Scriptures, as Brother Steve took you through 2 Timothy chapter 3 and got to verse 16 about all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. And there we have a list of four things that the scripture is inspired for, but the first one on the list is doctrine, because the primary reason God inspired the Bible was, was to give us the right doctrine so we could know what's right and we can know what's wrong. And that leads to uh, right living. Matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 6.3, uh, it's referred to as the doctrine which is according to godliness. And, and good doctrine leads to godly living. Not only that, but you know how you're willing to live and follow the Lord will help you to get good doctrine or not, depending if you're not willing. Uh, one of the key verses, I think, to understanding the Bible, which I would have been brought out uh, at least briefly in, in a, a previous podcast about how to understand the Bible, is John 7, verse 17. And there Jesus said, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And he's speaking about being willing to do the Father's will. And if a person's willing to do his will, these are heart matters. If you're willing to do what God wants you to do, then he'll show you. And not only will he show you, but you'll know the right doctrine. You'll embrace the right doctrine. All these things come down to, to matters of the heart. And to get there, you know, you, you first have a willing heart, and then you're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to labor. I think the Bible talks about the elders or the uh, that labor in the word and doctrine, uh, preachers that do that. And and that, that was indicated. He mentioned uh, Isaiah 28 about the people being weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, how they're there to understand doctrine. And, you know, you can look at that even in the spiritual sense of we got to get our milk as we we just get grounded in the word, but then we got to learn more. We got to grow. 
And the next verse talks about some things that pertain to study. Uh, that's Isaiah 28.10. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. And that's that's what you do when you study to show yourself approved unto God. You, you look uh, over in the New Testament and then the Old Testament and this book and that book, one place in a chapter, another place in a chapter, and you're building line upon line and precept upon precept. And... Um, Starting toward the end of 2017, I had the privilege of helping proofread a book that was being written uh, by Pastor Kyle Stevens. It was his doctoral thesis, uh, and it's now available on Amazon, and it's called Building Thereupon, but it's subtitled How Sound Faith and Good Doctrine Are Properly Laid. And you take what Brother Steve gave you today, and you want to you take an in-depth study on that, and Brother Stevens takes you through it in great uh, detail and uh, gets very uh, tedious, as, even in, in a good way, with the details. Um, and it's available, as I said, on Amazon right now. Uh, new books, a little pricey. Uh, soft cover is cheaper, but it's still no picnic for the price, and hard cover is even more. Eventually, it should be available on Kindle. His First book that he wrote, uh, the certainty of the words is available on Kindle at a at a decent price, but but still worth the investment if you want to study these things in in depth. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Yeah, I just I want to also kind of build off of what Pastor Strobel said about um, you know it leads to good live it, living. That's that's one of the arguments that I hear all the time about, boy, you just keep talking about doctrine, doctrine, you know, and people try and say, well, it just causes divisions and it just causes arguments. You know, what good is it? Why don't we just, and actually I just heard this a couple days ago from somebody and they said, I don't understand why we just don't learn about how to lead somebody to the Lord and then just leave it at that, you know, and, you know, know how to get saved, know how to lead somebody to the Lord. And why don't we just, you know, stop after that? Cause it just causes too many issues. And uh, Pastor Trouble, you know, quoted, and I, I believe uh, my father-in-law, Steve, quoted it as well. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then there in 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So man. if you want to be perfect and if you want to, you know, have good works, really furnished, your your life is furnished like a, it's not an empty room, it's furnished with all good work. So if you're going, and Pastor Schobel mentioned the right thing as well, that, listen, if you're going to, and I've I've met Christians like this, unfortunately, as well, and we got to be careful not to go after doctrine to learn it uh, for the wrong reasons. It's It's got to be our heart attitude that we want to please the Lord. We want to, you know, learn the Word of God and learn the doctrines that God has for, for His glory and not ours. You know, I, I've met Christians before that are just learning doctrine so that they can look good or that they can look smart or they can, you know, um, they they go after, they look for fights, right? They, they go after people and say, well, this is what the Bible says, you know, and you're wrong and try and get a crowd and, and make themselves look good. Of course, that, that's the wrong way to go about it. We're supposed to go about it with the right heart attitude that we want to please the Lord. We want to live a good, clean life. And um, I, I tell you this, we just started a Bible Institute here at our church, and uh, we've had uh, we've been doing it for uh, four weeks now, and we've had four adults come and four teenagers come, and it's just a blessing. and And I'm teaching on just basic Bible doctrine, and I can't tell you 
the difference I've seen, especially in the teenagers, they're taking notes, they're, uh, they're highlighting their Bibles now. There's a, an excitement that wasn't there before. Now that they're seeing, okay, you know, this is how you can lead somebody to the Lord. This is why you only go by the word of God, nothing else, no visions, no dreams. This is why, you know, you can't lose your salvation. And they're getting all these notes, all this good doctrine, and it's changing their walk with the Lord. It's not just to know it and try and cause division. It's because it gets them excited about it. And I, I told them this, um, I'll end with this. I told them this when we were going over that you can't lose your salvation, you know, and people say that's a damnable doctrine. You know, you're just going to try and get people to, you know, just go out there and sin then, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I told them when they were making the golden gate bridge many years ago, of course, uh, they, when they first started making it, when they first started constructing it, uh, 23 men fell to their death that were, that were, you know, constructed that golden gate bridge. That's terrible. And finally, after a while, they figured, well, let's put a big, large net, you know, underneath a safety net underneath the bridge. I mean, that, to me, that just seems like that's the first thing you should have done. And they said that at, at least 10 more men fell, but they fell into that net. And uh, so they would have surely died. But there was a safety net there that saved them from, of course, falling to their death. And they found um, that once they put that safety net up, 25% more work was accomplished after that net was installed. And the reason why is because those men had the assurance of their safety. They, yeah. they could work without having to worry that they were going to die. And yeah. the same is true for Christians. I know for my, my life, when I got it settled, hey, I can't lose my salvation because I got good sound doctrine of eternal security. When I learned that, uh, my life then is not worrying about, oh my goodness, you know, could I lose it? You know, could I lose yes. myself? You're not worrying about that. You're worrying a hundred percent about, okay, how can I glorify God today? Amen. Not having to worry about falling to my death. So, yeah. amen. It was a great study. Amen. 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 Steve, anything else for the good of the cause? No, you know, just maybe just a, another comment, just to, to, piggyback on some of those things you know there are some within our group that that uh you know doctrine 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 and you know the whole thing uh is that there ought to be some grace along with that you know and and you know, we're not out here trying to chop people's heads off as as probably some people think that's what we're doing but we firmly believe that God's word is the authority and it's truth. And that's why we emphasize it. Amen. And that's what we're told to emphasize. And so, you know, when people come uh, across and want to try to put unity ahead of doctrine, that's why they might get such a stern response is because that's, le as as the old movie would say, that's leaning, leading to the dark side. You know, that's, that's the first step that goes. Mm -hmm. now, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to being in unity with Christians and so forth, as far as doing what's right, but I can't sacrifice my doctrine just for the sake of sake of unity. And that's why sometimes people find Baptists a little bit, you know, like a stick in the mud, you know, and so forth, that, that they're just, you know, too wrapped up in themselves. That's not the case. We're wrapped up in the Word of God. Yeah. And uh, that's what's more important than even ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so when we try to present that and bring that across, 
it, it sometimes, and I'm not trying to say we're equal to, but sometimes it comes across as being very dogmatic and with authority. And when you preach and teach doctrine, it should be with authority. That was the example that was given to us by Jesus Christ. But sometimes that's confused for being arrogant, and we're not arrogant in that regard. Now, there may be some that come across that way, but that's not our intent here. Our intent here is to present truth so that you can come to grips with what God said, and you deal with God about it. I'm not your pope. I'm not here to tell you what you, what you have to do. But I'm here to try to push you towards dealing with God and what he wants you to do so that you'll do the right thing for his sake and not for my sake or not for your own sake. And so that's why the emphasis is there on doctrine and why we're so reluctant to, to go along with the, the ways of modern Christianity is because they're more important than feelings. They're, they're, more, they're, they're putting a focus on feelings than they are on doctrine. So with that being said, that's, that's really all the clarification I guess I want to bring and, and uh, just adding to what the guys have already said, which I thought was great. So thank Amen. you. Amen. Good stuff. Yes, it is. Amen. Well, we take our Bible seriously here, folks. And, Amen. Uh, you know, and uh, I appreciate the message today, Steve, on doctrine. It was uh, well done. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Well, Lord willing, we'll see you again real soon for our next episode. And that will be episode 94 as we close in on episode 100. We'll have some special announcements coming up regarding uh, episode 100 as we approach that. And we're going to have some giveaways and some other things, but more information on our next podcast concerning that. In the meantime, again, thank you guys for being here. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see everybody again real soon. Man. Righteous feet in the skies Going where going where no one dies Heavenward bound Troubles will soon be are Happy forevermore When we meet on that shore Free from all care Rising up Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will many will meet their doom. Trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Going where going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716 716- 
716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on. Thank you. Thank you very much.